Hello, and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, and joined by my friend and yours, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how are you this morning? I am very well, thank you, JT. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to like this conversation, though. Nah. I'm looking at the show notes, and I, I've written an awful lot. I'm not sure that's a good thing. The show notes go on for pages and pages and pages, more than they usually do. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's uh, it's going to be a fun one. But let's start into our regular stuff, some follow-up. Uh, first off, I wanted to apologize. If anybody does actually normally expect us to be released the same day every week, I was a day late this week because Mrs. T had her surgery. It went well. Uh, chemo had done its job and shrunk down the tumor. Uh, tumor is, touch wood, hopefully gone. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're dealing with post-surgical recovery, which means the princess is banned from the bed, mm. which is heartbreaking for both of us. Well, me and the dog, not Mrs. D. Um, I have to put Coco down with uh, my daughter and Coco looks at me and she jumps up and down and she's trying to get back into my arms and it feels every night like my heart's breaking because I'm abandoning my poor little puppy. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Now, Mrs. T is doing well. Surgery, post-surgical recovery is going really, really well. And hopefully uh, this will be the end of this chapter and on to the next chapter. There's always something with cancer. It's brutal. But anyway, how's your follow-up going, Stu? Uh, well, me, it's been uh, it's been very cold um, by by our standards, obviously very different from yours. But um, brace yourself. We have 45 centimetres of snow up on the up on the mountaintops. Ugh. And it was minus three here yesterday. Oh, very cold. That's like here. I, I, I had to put on I had to put on sort of um, long johns underneath my golfing shorts. It was it was quite a sight, I can assure you. <laughs> we were at uh, two degrees this morning i had to drive through the mountain pass last weekend uh-huh. um we took uh, my my daughter had her friend staying with us for what's called spring break out here basically mm-hmm. it's a week off from school and all that stuff uh, so she came up from the low mainland and i had to drop her off meet her dad halfway uh, and i drove over the pass and the pass was sketchy it was snowy it was blowing snow it was whiteout fog conditions i'm driving along in the snow and i could see well about 20 feet in front of me it was one of the most nerve-wracking drives i've had in a long time and i was actually thinking about uh, our conversation previously and thinking you know what Uh, not only do i need long johns and uh, spare underwear when i travel if I'm going to cross that mountain pass, I need extra underwear just for that day trip. <laughs> there you go. You see, you live and learn. Uh, well, for my follow-up, there's a poof, not much. I mean, I am I am standing here in a scarf. Okay, that's that's how dramatic I'm saying the weather is. But no, I'm still working my way through the furnace room, looking at uh, you know, getting rid of things I don't need. When, when Mrs. L isn't watching, obviously. I was going to say, has a skip shown up yet? <laughs> I'm not that brave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stu, what is your tool of the week? Uh, my tool of the week is a thing called a foglietto, which means a uh, little slip. It's an Italian word, uh, which is odd because it's made by a French company. But there you go. That's, that's Europe for you. We're a crazy mixed up bunch. 
I don't know, is there some cultural appropriation going there? Are they going to be canceled next? <laughs> well, it's, 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 just, it's just a good old-fashioned love story. It's a French woman who is married to an Italian man uh, and loves, uh, well, loves both countries. So uh, Foglietto is, um, it's an index card, very small index card. It's an A7 is the sort of size, which is if you're thinking of an analog card, it's like a sort of short version of one of those. Ah, it's vertically challenged. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but it comes in all sorts of colors, all sorts of rulings. And most importantly for people like you and I, uh, it's made of Fedrigoni cardstock, 265 GSM, which means it's really good for fountain pens. Lovely. Mm. And it also means if you're bored and throwing it into your trash can, you'll stick it into the wall behind the trash can if you miss. <laughs> yes, you can, you can in fact use it as a throwing star, yes. Um, it comes also, uh, there's a whole range of stuff. Uh, have a look at nerosnotes.co.uk uh, if you're interested. Foglietto, which is F-O-G-L-I-E-T-T-O. Uh, it's a beautiful range of stuff. And... Uh, we just launched it today. I sent a newsletter out today, and it's, it's flying off the shelves. I'm delighted to report. Oh, so wonderful. I shall be buying some more of that for Nero's, as well as playing with my own. Um, it's it's going to ultimately, I think it will replace analog uh, for me, because uh, not because I've got any problem with analog, but A, this is fountain pen friendly, and B, I don't have to ship it from the United States. That is a big reason right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially uh, given the challenges with shipping costs at the moment, I was uh, shipping something the other day and uh, got a little bit of sticker shock with the, what do they call that? The uh, carbon premium. Oh dear, yes. It's all happening, I'll tell you. Oof. Uh, Not a good day to be living remote, is it? Well, it's, this is going to be um, quite a challenge for us all the next year or two. Uh, mark my words, inflation is going to give us all a bit of a slap. Yeah, it's crazy up here. Anyway, let's talk about more positive things. I did I did something absolutely crazy, Stu. Go on then. I updated all of my Macs to the latest and greatest Mac version. 12.3, I think it is, or 15.4. Good lots of all that stuff. Just so I could use one feature. Universal control. <laughs> Have you uh, seen this, tried it, played with it, um, have any interest in it? I have it. Um, I haven't played with it, partially because I know that I would then spend about four hours just <laughs> getting it all set up correctly and go, oh, look, I can make it do this and I can make it do uh, So I've sort of avoided it. But uh, yes, it is coming because I, like you, am blessed with many, many Apple devices. Mm -hmm. So one of the challenges I have and the reason that I usually leave one at my, my analog machine, my um, voice machine that I do all my workflow on, uh, usually is a, is a version behind in terms of Mac OS. So it was running Big Sur until recently. However, this universal control does not work on that. I am blessed with two Macs. Uh, I have usually during the day, my work Mac, my Mac M1 hooked up to my big monitor here and then sitting there on the side that I don't really use because it's kind of awkward and I have to switch keyboards because I have an entire set of different Apple keyboards, mouse, trackpad 
for the other laptop. Um, I don't use it very often. So that one kind of goes to sleep. It's on a little stand beside beside the uh, big, big monitor. And on the other side sort of lives the uh, iPad Pro, mostly because I do contextual computing. So on the one big computer, well, I don't want to have anything that's going to distract me, uh, but there are things I want to check in during the day, so I'll log into the iPad Pro. What Universal Control allows me to do is have one keyboard attached to one computer, and I can control both my other Mac and my iPad Pro, which is so slick and so seamless that it was worth the wait. This was announced about a year ago almost. I think it was WWDC last year. Uh, but it is fantastic. So what I could do is I could flip up my laptop on the side, my other laptop, so it's a completely different computer, and I can actually just take my mouse and move it over to the side and use that computer like it's it's just the same. It's perfect. I could drag and drop things from one place to another. So, for example, when I was doing the posting of the last episode, I have all of those files on my recording laptop. And I was sitting here and I didn't want to be lazy and uh, I didn't want to switch all my keyboards and unplug everything. And what I could do was just drag from one place to the other and then post the internet on my work laptop. It was so cool and so slick. And I could do the same thing, just going over to my iPad. This is the coolest thing Apple has done in a while, at least for someone like me who has multiple Macs, multiple iPads, and can really think of a way to use this. So I heartily recommend it if you haven't tried it. No. And if you're an Apple fanboy like me. <laughs> well, I shall have a play with it. Uh, probably, I would imagine, next week. That's when I'll get around to having a look at that. Mm. You know what the problem you're, you'll have, Stu? What's that? Your your laptop will come out of the drawer and be on your little uh, shelf stand. So you'll have... Because you, you, you need to see sort of what you're looking at, and it's going to be hard if they're not together. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm thinking initially it might be my uh, iPad Pro and my laptop at the analog desk so when i'm writing it might be nice to have two screens there so as, as you say i've got sort of some sort of check-in ability without a direct sort of distraction we'll see mm, yeah it's pretty cool uh the one challenge that you do have because it's apple and things should just work until they don't trying to get the stuff lined up on the right side of the desk so apple for some reason assumed that i had my big monitor my laptop, and then my iPad Pro on the other side. And it took a little bit of starting, stopping, shutting things down, putting things into sleep mode until I could get it to co be convinced that, no, the laptop is on the left and the iPad is on the right. Mm, yeah, indeed. Well, I suppose it's got a 50-50 chance, hasn't it? Uh, surprisingly enough, it works really well with one device. Uh, because you just move your mouse over to the side, you kind of push it over to the side, and boom, all of a sudden it's on the next one. But it gets confused when you have multiple devices. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's uh, If you're going to do that one device at a time, and you'll have it with no problem. Very cool. All right, cool. What you got for a pen this week, Stu? A uh, pen? Uh, I've 
broken out the Pelican. So the Pelican 205 Star Ruby, uh, which is the, the little um, the little Pelican, the baby Pelican. The baby Pelican with a big ink reservoir, though. Yeah, yeah, no, it takes a lot of ink. You're quite right. Um, this is a medium nib. Uh, I'm I'm currently I'm doing some research around. I'm looking for a sort of wet fine nib. Ooh. So um, as you know, I'm not really a fine nib sort of person, but those um, those little index cards, you know that I don't really want to be writing on those with a big double broad. Mm-hmm. I want something that's a little little finer, but I still want that lovely feeling of uh, of ink flow. So Pelican might actually be worth me looking at. From my point, I know it's not a fine from your point of view, but from mine, that might work. But uh, this is, uh, it's a lovely pen. I've filled it up this time with a a different ink. I, I do have the matching Star Ruby ink from Pelican, but I filled it now with uh, Murasaki Shikipu, or Shikubu, with, uh, by Hiroshizuku. Try and say that after two pints of Guinness. <laughs> and that's a, that's a nice purple ink. It's lovely. 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 What about you? What have you got rocking and rolling this week? All right. So inspired by you last week, we recorded on St. Patty's Day last week. And Stu was rocking the green and I felt really bad because I hadn't even realized what day it was. So I went and right after we recorded, I inked up a green pen with green ink. I have a Monteverdi Intima in green with a, it's actually a black coated broad nib. It's funny, mm. Stu's going to fine nips, and I'm suddenly using broad nips. Um, we're having a bad impact on each other. I'm not sure this is a good thing. <laughs> um, however, I did uh, ink that up with Sailor Gentle Epinard, which is a lovely foresty green. Like, it's a, it's mm. an absolutely gorgeous color, and it's, it's Sailor. Epinard is the French for spinach, my friend. Ah, okay. Well, I guess you find... Spinach in the forest, maybe? I don't know. Well, uh, but yes, it is uh, uh, It is a lovely, lovely green color. It's not one of those, um, it doesn't sear out of, you know, the, the book that it is. It's a very, it's a, it's a proper professional green. I like it. Lovely. Um, Sailor inks are lovely, much like, I know Stu likes the Sailor pens. So I, I definitely recommend those. Uh, Sailor inks, though, getting a little expensive on, on of recent, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Might be the way to say it. Yeah, I've heard similar. I haven't bought any ink for a while, actually. So I think I've got loads of it. Which we may get onto a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Well, the worst part for me, Stu, is now that well, spring is... I hate to say the word sprung when it's two degrees outside in the morning, but uh, I had to close my curtains in my office, uh, and it's getting warm because the sun shines directly in here as it rises over the mountains. And gets kind of toasty. So I, I think we have spring here. Last weekend, I was putting up all the new patio furniture for Mrs. T, just in case uh, post-recovery, she wanted to go and sit outside if we had a warm mm-hmm. day. Um, so I, I, I think we're at the point where we might start having this thing called spring. So Yeah, very exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about glasses of wine out in the beautiful, verdant Canadian summers. It sounds fabulous. Well, more importantly, it means that I can ship ink from England without it freezing. <laughs> and that too. That is, uh, you know, I, I mean, let's face it. This is a guy that has too much stuff. Yes. Uh, ink, ink is back on the menu, as they say. 
Splendid. Speaking of stuff, do you want to talk us into where we're going with this topic, Stu? Because, <laughs> oh my God, well, this is a confessions. <laughs> What's going to happen is I'm going to speak very briefly. Uh, then I'll, I'll nip away and leave you guys uh, just with Justin uh, for two, three hours. Uh, and then I'll, I'll come back. So following on from last week, I suggested that we might just, well, unburden ourselves a little bit and just give some sort of insight into, into our collections. We both hinted that we had a little bit of a collection issue, a sort of gene somewhere that goes, hmm, here's something I can obsess about. So we thought we'd create a nice safe space. And, uh, you know, I came up with a few things that I've either collected or still collect or kind of accidentally collect. And Justin came up with four pages. Mm-hmm. So I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll get Justin just to go through his list. And occasionally I'll, I'll say, oh, I do that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you do have things that I don't. So, you know, we're, we're okay. going to be... We're going to be good. All right. Let me, let me start us off with an easy one. I've got quite a few fountain pens. That's that's where I'm going to start. Not a huge amount. Um, I haven't counted, and I did say to Justin to to get this this episode through. I did have to say no actual numbers are required, no, in order to protect the innocent. Good. But I've got. Um, what did I do? I have a an IKEA um, sort of cabinet that is is quite low to the ground, and it has at the top it has very sort of shallow drawers and i got in touch and the name escapes me unfortunately but with um an american company who um do sort of fountain pen auctions and they also sell what i used as a drawer liner so if you think of a sort of you know a whole bunch of sand dunes somewhere for me to lay my pens um, and I lined two of these drawers so that I have somewhere for my fountain pens to live. Lovely. Um, and, uh, I suppose I've got one drawer full of pens and uh, probably another full of pencils. What about you? Have you got any fountain pens? Uh, just a couple, just a couple. <laughs> I, oh boy, where do we start with this one? So I, I, uh, Actually, now that I'm I'm looking at my rough number that I put in the show notes and I'm looking over at my desk, I'm going, okay, that might be a little bit of an understatement, <laughs> like most of my things in here. Um, I have fountain pens in all kinds of different places. On my desk, I have a couple of wooden uh, boxes. I think they hold 12 pens a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an old antique roll-top desk. There is a narrow drawer that goes right across. And what I have is some of my pens in there as well. So I have a lot of uh, roll type things that uh, I could put fountain pens in. And so if I pull that out, those rolls, all my pens are in there as well. And that's very nice. Um, But then I was thinking, because, you know, fountain pens... Um, I have a desk drawer that I'm assuming is for files and it just nicely fits the Monteverde 36 pen cases. Uh Uh-huh. Do you you know about those? 
I do. Uh, yep. They're little zipper cases. And somehow I apparently have four of those in, in that section. <laughs> so I'm, you know, just rough numbers looking at all of the fountain pens that are sort of around and I, I don't even want to think about it, but yes, this, yeah, you know, there, there's a few of them lying around. Uh, how about inks do, uh, I've got about the same number of inks as fountain pens, uh -huh. not including samples and, mm -hmm. uh, all of those little things. I'm talking full bottles here. Uh, I have those lined up on an Ikea, um, bookcase. I have them in boxes. I have them numbered and I have an index so that I can actually find them again. That's how geeky it has to be. Otherwise, you know, you end up with box number one and you keep using the same ink. Um, and there, there are many, many boxes. So yes, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> you do have a lot. <laughs> How about you, Stu? What are you, what are you doing for ink? Well, I have, uh, in terms of sort of full-size bottles of ink, I will have maybe 10, 12. And then I've got the music set from Diamine. So there's sort of, I suppose, 10, 10 bottles in there, um, sort of smaller bottles. Uh, but no, I, we, we are in different leagues, I think. So my fountain pen collection probably runs to about 40, maybe 50. And I, I'm guessing that you may shade that by a bit or by an order of magnitude. Yeah, see, I, I don't look at my fountain pens as being terribly excessive until I have to talk about it. I guess the, the reason, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. The reason that uh, I started the pen and ink of the week for myself uh, and got Stu to join in as well is that, you know, when you have a lot of fountain pens, you tend to gravitate to the latest, greatest, the ones that are in the box that are visible, the ones that are in the drawer, the poor, poor fountain pens that get put in those Monteverdi sheaths, they get put in a, in a box and you forget about them. So what I'm trying to do is have a balance of old and new and go through and reuse some of these fountain pens that I've accumulated over the years. Um, I don't think they're excessive because, um, you know, some of the circles that I run in, I seem to have a very small collection, but, uh, when you actually do kind of look at it, you kind of go, Hmm. Um, so I guess my, my question that really is why we're kind of going through this, are we at a good level? Are we happy with our collections? Should we uh, be downsizing them? Do they create a cognitive load? You know, this is the part of, for, for me is going through the inks and the, the fountain pens to say, Hey, let's try something different and rotate them. And you know what? If I find something I really don't like, um, I'm, I'm in that position now where I may consider downsizing them. Your pens probably sound a little more curated, Stu. Are you comfortable with your levels? Are you, what, what's your strategy for fountain pens from here on out? Well, I mean, I think there's a few that, um, because because we're rotating and I'm reaching into that drawer every now and again, I do find myself sort of my hand passing over the same pens again and again, and I'm not taking them out either because the nib's not quite right for me or I'm not wild about that pen particularly. And with those, I think most of the ones that I'm I'm not pulling out are not you know sort of top end 
Grahamy type pens. Uh, so I may I may look when I'm traveling. I may pass these on to people that um, I know will appreciate them. You know, not passers by, but mm-hmm. to, <laughs> to people that I know who are in the uh, you know similar sort of hobbies and and might enjoy them. Um, because otherwise, you get to this position if you go, as we discussed before. You know, do you want to to start an eBay uh, thing, or do you want to start selling on your blog or anything? And I, I really no. If it comes to that, I'm just going to leave them in the drawer. <laughs> but yeah, I, I managed. You know, at Nero's, we looked at lots of different lines of pens, and I've experimented with with loads and gone, yeah, that's not for me. That's not for me. That's not for me. Um, and. I've only got a few really that I, I would sort of say, yeah, these are never going to get used because I really enjoy little Coeco pocket pens. Uh, you know, the, the, the really light, um, inexpensive plastic ones. I think they're great. I love, I love them every now and again. That's, that's my pen of choice. So, uh, I'll hang on to those. And I've got the pens that I really adore, like the Mont Blanc, and, mm-hmm. um, the, the sailors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. It's uh, I, I think I could pare that down. Fountain pens, inks have not. They're they're small uh, as far as most of the stuff that uh, you know we'll get to later. They were something that missed the grand purge before I moved, and so you know there's something there that uh, if I find pens, inks that I don't love, certainly can get passed along. Uh, pencils, oh boy, pencils. I have some boxes, uh, those same boxes that I use for my ink. Uh, I have a little stack of those full of pencils that I have no idea what's in there. Mm. But there's a lot of boxes of black wings that have mm-hmm. one or two out uh, that, you know, may be more desirable. So I have to think about what I'm going to do with those. Oh, you could probably sell those and buy a house. Mm. Yeah, I don't have any of the really early ones uh, apart from my own personal sort of, you know, I'm keeping one of each as part of the collecting collection. But yeah, they're, it's, it's certainly one of those things you keep looking at them going, hmm. Um, and, and luckily, I've kind of got out of, you know, for Blackwing and Field Notes in particular, I've got out of the quarterly subscription thing, mostly because I found mm-hmm. I wasn't using them. And, you know, the Pokemon thing, if you got to catch them all, kind of died off when all of a sudden there were so many different versions. And it just got to the point where if you can't keep up, why am I actually buying these? So, sure. uh, I haven't, I haven't added to that collection in a while, but I do have, you know, several boxes of field notes sitting there that are doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because until recently I've not been using pocket notebooks for the last couple of years because yep. I'm at my desk and I generally use a, a daily driver and a five. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a full bookcase of notebooks. Stu, I know you're in this business, so I'm sure you can justify this as a business expense and a research tool and, um, you know, all of those things. Uh, tell me you have more bo- notebooks than I do. Um, I'm probably not far off you. I mean, I've got a sort of, uh, ish, I suppose you'd call it a boot box more than a shoe box, uh, full of pocket notebooks, uh, something similar for a five-ish um, it kind of Brexit kind of did for me mm. in that the stuff that comes into Nero's, um, I used to have, uh, Claire would courier over a box to me every, I don't know, every six weeks or so. And it would have the new lines and, um, I would, I a be writing reviews and b just obsessively collecting notebooks. 
but that I can't do that now where I can, but I have to pay 20% import duty, um, which is you know, a bit tiresome. Uh, and you know, frankly, I've got <laughs> plenty, plenty to go through. Uh, so yeah, I don't have loads coming over. I haven't bought notebooks for a long, long time. So I'm actually reducing the amount I've got, which is great. Mm-hmm. My concern is the, the filled ones. So mm-hmm. I, I have, um, what do I have? I have four field notes, archive boxes, uh, full of pocket notebooks that I've filled in. Mm-hmm. And I've got a, a big drawer in my chest of drawers that's full of A5 daily drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep opening that drawer with the intention of throwing at least some of them out, maybe the older ones. And I keep closing the drawer without actually doing it. There's so, something is stopping me from doing that. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I, I feel your pain. Uh, my field notes are, they're disposable. I mean, I, I probably have, I think I've got, uh, everything rubber banded and stuck somewhere. I'm not sure where they are actually now to think about it. The challenge I have more is A5s, which are sort of the daily, mm. you know, if there's anything that needs to be kept, it's generally going in an A5. And I, I have the same thought of let me just get rid of these because I have sort of a shelf full of, you know, used A5s over the year. I got, day was that? Tuesday. Uh, we're recording on Thursday, a couple days ago. I got a question for something that I had done some research in a couple of years ago. And it was one of those research that was done in a notebook and pen, kind of the way I think, and that I had not then taken the time to digitize and store sure. in a way that I could get back to. And it took me going through two notebooks, but I found that and could answer that fairly quickly. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that and going, you know, how much time effort, yes, could I redo that research? How much would that cost versus the cost of keeping these notebooks for future reference? And it was, you know, we, we were preparing the, the show notes as we went and I saw this and I went, yeah, I can get rid of this stuff. And now I'm rethinking that because, wow, I did have to go back to something from a couple of years ago in order to see what I had written before. And I kind of shook my head and went, oh, that doesn't help because now this increases the dilemma. Sure. Do you have this or are you more able to let go of, of the stuff that you have? You don't digitize anything either though, right, Stu? No, I don't, I don't, uh, periodically digitize. I do, um, sort of weekly, I go through the notes that I've taken, um, and, uh, add some into obsidian. So I suppose that, that is digitizing, but, um, I don't do anything sort of systematic because I think most of the notes just, as you say, that I've written down either are inconsequential or they exist in this, this notebook. But I mean, I, I've started not backing up my email. So I used to archive all of my emails into a program called MailSteward and, and it creates this massive database of email. And I've stopped doing it on the basis that, you know, I mean, how often do I need to see email from 2008? And as you say, the minute you say that, somebody asks you, remember that thing I asked you in 2008? And it is quite nice to be able to go, yeah, there it is, there's the answer. 
but it does happen for me at least once a year twice a year and i could also just turn around and go oh yeah i remember you asking no i've no idea what the answer is and i dare say we would you know we would move on and find another solution to whatever the problem was Mm -hmm. i i do and you know for me i i don't have children i'm not gonna have children and so these sort of piles of notebooks are ultimately they're someone's problem <laughs> when, I, when I do go. And I'm thinking, do you know what, do I just get rid of them? I mean, part of the reason I'm so drawn to to index cards is that I can I can keep those that mean something to me. I have a lovely little storage system. It's great. You'd love it. But the vast majority of them I could just go, yeah, that's done, that's done, that's finished, you know. And and that's there's something quite liberating about that. Use I use these written tools as a way of thinking out loud rather than as an archive tool. But there's still that little my inner archivist goes, oh, yes, we should keep that. Mm-hmm. But I um let's say my Camino notebook. So I do a Camino every year, or I did until COVID turned up. And I quite enjoy flicking those open and going oh yeah i remember that day when we walked from here to here because there's something very specific about it you know it's a log uh, where we started where we finished it undoubtedly it will have what i ate and what i drank but also there, there might be some you know some philosophical thought or some thought about the friendship because uh it's it's a very it's a profound experience believe it or not walking every day with with uh close friends so I look at those and I think I would probably keep those, but the ones that are a combination of my shopping lists and observations of people that I saw in the pub or outside the cathedral or maybe those I could do without. I'm not sure. Interesting. Do you, you don't keep anything uh, like a commonplace book or anything like that? Um, well, all of my, my pocket notebooks are to a certain extent commonplace books. Um, because I don't, I've, I don't differentiate. I did for a while try carrying a traveler's notebook with several pocket notebooks uh, where each would have a specific purpose, uh, but I'm very quickly tired of that. And so I have one book that may, it may be an idea for a scene in a novel. Um, it may even be a, a couple of lines of poetry. It may be an observation, or it may be an aid memoir, or it may be a shopping list that it all goes into the same same thing for me which means that going through my my pocket notebooks is a is always an eclectic experience hmm. i started one a little while ago and just life got so busy that um i haven't really done much about that you know sort of having a family one of the things that i've thought is uh, basically i do not want my wife to ever read any of my stuff because let's face it if i'm journaling a lot of the stuff i'm doing is getting stuff off my chest sure you know i I could go yell at somebody i could go and bang my head against the wall or i could just write it down and get all of that out but if anybody ever read that they would think i'm the most vitriolic uh a-hole around and they're not those those are not meant for consumption other than Hmm. me getting rid of stuff Uh, So what I did was I actually have a very nice book that I started that is Here Are My Memories. And certainly something that when time and energy uh, prevails, I would love to fill in more. 
you know, here's my perception of these events that took us, you know, here's a picture. I bought one of those little, um, uh, they're like a little Kodak printer that, uh, you print these little sticky things out. They're only a couple of inches across, mm -hmm. but they're ideal for sticking in that, you know, here's a memory and here's why this was important. And here is my recollection of that, why it was a wonderful time. My idea that, you know, when I pass, these are going to be the things that I want people to remember. Here's my thoughts. Here's my process in a way that is truly representative of who I am, not just me shouting at the wall because mm. I'm, I'm frustrated. And that is one thing that I, I have started. Um, it's, it's a lovely concept. Uh, I, I don't actually know where that went from the move and, you know, the last six months probably haven't been the best anyway, but, uh, would, would really be a nice process to go back and start that up and, and leave a positive legacy, you know, a true legacy of here's some reflections that I've got on, on events that happened. Um, so that's, that's something that I've kind of done, um, with the pretty much instructions that, you know, any of these other ones, honey, just get rid of them because, um, you don't want to read those. <laughs> Not for that sure. my wife, uh, annoys me, but you know, just everything in general, it's a notebook for me is, uh, working things out in my mind. And a lot of yeah. that is you, you have to go through a path to get there. Not everything is quite as polished as you, you know, you would, you can go to therapy or you can use a, a notebook and well, I use a notebook cause it's cheaper. Yeah, absolutely. It's cheaper. And some might say more effective. What else? What else have we got then? Whatever. Well, um, here's one that I've got that you won't have golf balls. Mm. Now I don't, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't hoard golf balls because I'm very, very good at losing them. Um, and I play, and I play on a golf course that has, well, it has chasms and canyons and lakes and things. So there's plenty of places for me to put usually brand new ones, which is always nice. There's a golf ball that cost, well, give or take four or five dollars. Back, oh, right. Here's another golf ball that costs four or five dollars. Um, so that's quite annoying. Uh, my wife sometimes asks me why I don't play with old golf balls, uh, to which the response is because I haven't got any. But I, I do, wherever I play, um, most golf clubs will have balls with with their logo the golf club's logo put on them oh, very nice uh, and, and so i have a little display cabinet of those of places that i've been and we're, i'm now at the point where the the golf ball has to earn its spot in there <laughs> so the more famous the golf club the, the more chance it's got of getting in mm -hmm. um and some of the the lesser uh golf clubs now get removed uh and promptly hit into a lake so that <laughs> that's i'm just looking at it now i'm trying to count it it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven across, is it? Seven across and nine up. So 63 golf balls. So 63 sort of golf clubs. That's, that's the extent of that. And I, I'm not buying another. I'm not buying a bigger cabinet. That's for sure. Guaranteed. <laughs> he says that now. Mm. Until his North American tour and he goes to a whole bunch of new places. Mm. Well, I've got some really good American courses there, but there, you're right. There are an awful lot of really good ones in the States. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's cool. I, I do not have that collection, surprisingly enough. But you do have some model cars, just one or two. Just one or two, yes. Uh, we talked about, you know, a couple of things that I have. Uh, my comics last week. Mm -hmm. uh, model cars. So, 
you know, a lot of these things, I, I'm in a really good place. Uh, surprisingly, if you see this list, which will never become public, just in case my wife ever sees it. This far into a podcast, I have no worries about her ever listening to this. <laughs> but uh, I sold a bunch of model cars last year. And, you know, I, ha I have a fairly extensive collection of unbuilt model cars. They're, they're things that you pick up when they're available. They're only available for sort of a limited time. Mm -hmm. I sold... Uh, probably 30% of my collection, maybe even more than that, uh, before I moved last year. And those were local, uh, mostly cash deals. Uh, I, f I felt like I was running a store out of the front of my house for a little while. It was weird. Uh, but they funded all kinds of stuff. I bought a topper for my truck. So my truck now has on the, the part, which would normally look like a truck bed. I've got a cab on it so that it doesn't get wet or snowy as I drive across the mountains, which is very, very good. I bought all the boxes and moving supplies with the cash that I was selling stuff. Cash tips for the movers. When you have a big move, it takes a lot of cash to keep the movers happy and um, avoid them from dropping anything. <laughs> the, the movers that I had were fantastic. They came in, they packed, they did everything for me. Uh, but you know, I was, I was getting sort of, uh, six movers a day and all of a sudden you have to throw cash at them. And that's what I did with all that, all that money that I made. And so even though I have a ton of model cars, uh, to the point that, you know, I know this sounds silly, but the house I moved into, I had seen for a grand total of about 30 minutes before I bought it. And I didn't really measure the rooms. I thought the room was bigger because you look at the realtor pictures and it looks big but you know that is done by a pinhole camera that makes well even a matchbox look big and i realized once i moved here and i set things up that i can't actually fit all my models in one room the way that i expected to so i still have some boxes that are not yet unpacked my room is full i've got i don't want to say how many um, shelving units, my shelving units of these go right up to the ceiling. They're 10 feet high. So, uh, I have them about nine feet and stuff is basically on top of them. Um, and I think I have one, two, three, four, five shelving units like that full, uh, just to give you kind of an example. I, I once showed Stu a picture of this and he, uh, I think choked on his morning uh, cereal when I showed it to him. I am still evaluating my relationship with those. I love them. I love the unbuilt dreams. I have a collection that I enjoy. I mean, I do a podcast about uh, model cars, one of my other podcasts that I do. So uh, it's, it's something that I've got a lot of friends in that community. It's excessive if you don't, if you aren't terribly involved in it, but um, you know, I'm kind of happy with it because it's already been pared down. I've gone through it. So that's a good thing. Cool. All right, Stu. Wristwatches. Tell me about wristwatches. Oh, wristwatches. Well, I, I've, I've never consciously collected them. Um, but the other day, or not the other day, a couple of years ago, I bought a case because I realized I had a few. So when I was in, uh, anybody who's subscribed to my blog knows that I used to live in Budapest and that my alter ego is probably called Sean. And I left university to take up full-time employment. I'd been sort of alternating between Paris in a bureau de change and Lancaster uh, for university. And I went, no, this is silly. 
And I got uh, posted to Budapest a couple of years after the wall came down. Incredible place. Uh, still is. Fantastic. Go, go to Budapest. You'll love it. And I started getting proper paychecks. And because I was, uh, at the time, that was a hardship posting. That's what they used to call it. Um, so you got sort of your accommodation paid. Uh, you were paid in a very tax-efficient manner. And so you had quite a big disposable income. And I used to walk past a jewellery store every morning that had a big range of tag hoyers. And there was one that really, really called to me. So I bought it as a sort of celebration of leaving the world of academia and uh, going full-time into financial services. Um, And I, I love that tag. And I'm that old that it's now possible for me to look at my watches and go, oh, these really have gone out of fashion. So when I bought that watch, it was the height of fashion. Now people would look at it and go, it's tiny. Watches have just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I've got that. I have, um, I have a, uh, a lovely watch that my wife, a Breitling, that my wife bought for me as an engagement present. I have uh, my dad's Rolex. Oh, very nice. Uh, which was 1963. Um, and I recently had it um, uh, restored. So I do, uh, when I'm being an anti-money laundering specialist, I do a lot of work with the National Pawn Broking Association. That's P-A-W-N, before anybody gets carried away. Oh, I thought we were just about to talk somewhere different in this podcast. <laughs> um, so I do some work with them, and within their their membership, they have some of the the foremost experts uh, in the world, probably on Rolex. And so I I chatted to one and said, "Look, if if I send you this, because my I know that my dad bought this in um, I think it was either Yemen or Saudi Arabia." in the 60s. Mm. And so my concern was that it might actually just be counterfeit. But uh, it wasn't. Uh, it, it's the real deal. Um, and he, he did an amazing job. He put a new face, a new sort of glass on it and had it all, you know, service the inside to the extent that it, I think it loses about three seconds a day, something like that. Um, good old-fashioned mechanical watch. Beautiful, but again, by today's standards, just, tiny and i'm not a small guy anyway <laughs> so it does look a little bit like it looks like a pimple on my wrist and what else have i got a couple of other sort of you know costume watches i suppose you might call them you know not not, not terribly expensive very nice fashion watches i think is what they're yeah called. another one of my dad's old ones an old seiko uh which is probably my favorite uh sort of slightly battered silver uh, but it, I, I just see that watch and it reminds me of my dad. And, you know, to be honest, I never wear any of them now because I wear the Apple Watch. Mm-mm. That's a shame that you don't wear those. Mm, I, you know, occasionally, you know, occasionally I'll bust them out. So I went through a couple of weeks of wearing my slow watch, uh, which is the watch with, with no minute hand um, <laughs> and 24 hours on the dial. Strange. <laughs> For a while. But... You know, if I'm trying to monitor my fitness and all of that stuff, then I do find the Apple Watch invaluable for that. What about you? Have you have you got watches? Uh, yeah, I'm a Tag Heuer fan as well. I grew up watching Formula One, which I know you're not a huge fan of. 
Um, well, but, that, you know, it's it's you know, it's a bunch of cars going around a track, and at the end, a car wins. Yay! Yay! Pretty. <laughs> that's, that's it. All right, we 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 won't uh, spin off and start our own new podcast on Formula One. Then it's all the rage, isn't it? Uh, apparently, it is. Anyway, um, no, I'm I'm uh, a big Tag Heuer fan. I've got a couple of those. I've got. Uh, quite a few more fashion watches, Seikos, things like that, that are mm-hmm. sort of mid-range. They're not big fancy watches, but sure. Um, my relationship with the Apple Watch is, well, uh, I have it sitting here on my desk. So I get up in the morning, I use it for sleep tracking. And then as soon as it buzzes, it annoys me and I take it off. And I charge it up during the day and I put it on for sleep tracking and I have a silent alarm set so that it buzzes on my wrist and doesn't wake up Mrs. T because, Mm -hmm. well, that's just dangerous. That is my use for the Apple Watch. I have used my Apple Watch more in the last year because of the mask unlock iPhone thing mm-hmm. than I have in a long time for daily driving. But for the most part, I mean, I don't wear a watch very often anymore, mostly because I'm sitting at home and I have my phone, I have a computer, uh, a watch just rattles on my desk. But if I'm going out somewhere, I do like a, a nice analog watch. Um, I have, I've got a nice little case full and I've got a watch winder. Do you, do you have one of those too? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, so I have a couple of uh, automatic watches that don't have batteries in them. You mm-hmm. have to sort of shake them to to get them to go. So in my closet, I have a little watch winder. It's a, it's a little, basically it's a turntable that turns the watches around and around and around on a regular basis to keep them charged. Well, there you go. Who knew? So yeah, that's the kind of geek that I am. And I have some in there and I've got some over here and I've got some that don't fit on. And anyway, I, I tend to, you know, have a couple of watches. Let's put it that way. Uh, like anything, uh, have you noticed that I tend to not do things by half? I, I, I am getting that impression. Yes. Mm, yes. All right. Cool. Wristwatches. I love, I still love them. You know, there's nothing, I, I mean, not that I've, worn big boy pants in a long time but if you're going to a meeting having a classy watch on your wrist is is still lovely mm-hmm. I, I love the apple watch but if the apple watch came in a round uh, stylish look i would be all over that in a hurry i dare say it will come one day we shall see tell me about your keyboards Stu. Uh, keyboards um I, I, this is another one where i sort of got to the edge of the abyss and pulled myself back so I have the ultimate hacker keyboard, mm. which is, um, I should have done a link for this really, but it's, uh, it's a big mechanical keyboard. Uh, it's made in Hungary, which I suppose appeals to me too. And it splits and tents. So, um, I have it up at an angle, um, and you can adjust that so you can have it f- sort of sloping away from you, sloping toward you, sloping inward, sloping outward. You can do all sorts of stuff. And it has a little rollable mouse that um, I have on the edge uh, and some special keys. And if you sort of throw yourself into it, if you dedicate yourself to it, it becomes an incredibly powerful tool. And it just feels great. And it sounds awesome. Uh, So that was, I got that. I also have a, 
oh, Keychron, a Keychron K6, I want to say, uh, which is a 65% keyboard, Bluetooth, and um, a bit like the Apple feature that you were talking about the other day, um, it will seamlessly switch from one machine to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was using multiple machines on my desk, uh, it was wonderful. I've got a couple of other keyboards as well, but I won't bore you with what they are. But what what really sort of killed or at least slowed this down for me, two things. One, I podcast. <laughs> um, now, obviously, uh, with you, um, you're, you're very laid back sort of character. But there are certain editors who might find a clicky keyboard <laughs> quite annoying. I remember H.C. Marks, uh, I'm going to call him friend of the show, H.C. Marks used to edit it out because there's there's an app that will edit out keyboard sounds and it just does it automatically, but occasionally it would fail. And all through back to work, you would hear sort of as he was doing the show notes. Uh, and I thought if I tried that with a certain Justin, I, I'm, I might end up in hospital. And the other thing is fingerprint unlock. Um, and I know Mike Hurley has got a keyboard. And I think also Stephen Hackett now. They, they both have keyboards stuck under their desks. So that they can, Strapped to their best desks, yes. So that they could just use the fingerprint reader. But yeah, I mean, that is so handy, particularly when, as you say, we're, we're at our desks all day. Um, you're unlocking your Mac, you're making payments, you, you know, passwords. Uh, that's really, really nice function to have. So uh, my, my mechanical keyboards are all in a drawer. Uh, occasionally I get them out and sort of start tapping away, but they're, they're the sort of thing that you need to use them all the time to really get the benefit to be really proficient and know exactly what you're doing and because they all have layers. So you can have all sorts of customized T uh, keys and, you know, it's great. Um, so I'm really close to falling down that, but Apple keeps dragging me back by coming out with really handy functions like, you know, fingerprint readers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that and going, you know, every, a lot of people are returning to work in the office. I wonder how many people have got used to a clacky keyboard at home. Yeah. Exactly. I know now taking those back into the office and annoying the heck out of everybody. Mm, yeah, it's um I mean it is I I love the sound, but I love the sound in an office that's enclosed <laughs> in your sort of, you know, little uh kiosk <laughs> cubicle in an open plan office, they must be a nightmare. Yeah, I'm I my keyboards are basically different versions of Apple keyboards, so mm-hmm. I I got nothing here. Uh, the only thing that I would say is for me, it's always got to be an extended keyboard. Uh, yeah, I, I have both and well, you know, my sort of minimalist aspiration. So when I was using my main sitting desk as a computer desk, I wanted as little on it as possible. So I have the small keyboard now that I sort of keep that desk relatively free of it then um, I may I may use a big one up here at the shelf again. You've got me thinking I may dig the big one. I don't know if I've got a big one with a fingerprint reader. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll just go and buy 25 keyboards. That'll fix it. I was going to say, you know, there's, there's an easy solution to that, Stu. You just throw money at it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, what about you? Let's, let's get into another Justin one. We've got a few to choose from. 
I mean, I know Harley Davidsons. I mean, most people collect those, don't they? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually pared that down, believe it or not. I only have three Harleys at the moment um, <laughs> because, you know, one of those actually is my wife. So uh, we just have. Oh, okay. That's right. You, you know, it was actually funny when we moved. Um, you know, I, I only have, we only have the three at the moment. At one point, my last uh, driveway looked like a Harley Davidson dealership. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll admit to that. The problem out here is the way that insurance works. It's expensive to have too many vehicles on the road at once because you have to insure each vehicle as if it was the only vehicle that you owned. So I have three bikes at the moment. My wife's, uh, I have a bagger, which is a big Harley Davidson that has a couch on the back for my wife. And then I have my, well, uh, club style bike is what uh, it's called. When I moved in here, uh, I had arranged with a buddy of mine who runs a tow truck basis. We, we got the house at, I think, 11 o'clock, and he showed up at 1 o'clock with the three Harleys, parked in the driveway, and we unloaded them. Uh, my neighbor's first uh, comment to us is, oh, so you have motorcycles, um, which is, you know, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> um, oh, God, you're one of those. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's a lovely thing. Uh, you don't ride a bike, do you, Stu? No, I did. Uh, when, as a youngster, um, I got into motorbikes for a little while and then, um, got knocked off one mm. and thought, uh, that really hurts. I'm not going to do that again. Mm. Yeah, I was, uh, I lived through my twenties with sport bikes. So, uh, I'm, I'm proud to be onto the, well, uh, the old man bikes, the Harley Davidson's nowadays, but that's okay. What I didn't realize is, you know, when you have Harley Davidsons, what you end up with is half a garage full of parts for Harley Davidsons. And I realized this the other week when I went down and emptied out my storage locker and the back of my truck was full of big containers full of, you know, things that I had taken off and replaced. Um, so yeah, I've got to look at uh, my parts and see what I can get rid of there. Something to, to look at. Well, it's, uh, a close friend of mine is um, he's hugely into his bikes, and he was into the the uh, it's the Honda version, the Goldwing. Um, and he was we were at a, a function together the other day, and he was talking to a friend of his, a, a Finnish friend who's big into Harley's as well, and they were joshing each other, uh, as as I understand people like this do. And uh, he said to the Finnish guy, he "said Okay." would you get into an aeroplane made by Harley Davidson? And the Finnish guy looked at him and went, no. I don't know. It might be safer than the Boeing ones, but anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think the implication was that Harley's, yeah, they're, they're essentially sort of spare parts held together, aren't they? I mean, in some way, shape or form. They have a bad rep, but I'm going to touch wood here. <laughs> are actually, are actually pretty good. Um, the, the newer bikes, the older bikes, certainly they, they have character. Um, and you certainly learn what a torque wrench is, uh, when you own one of these, because, uh, they shake so much that you have to walk around them periodically, um, tightening everything back up. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Um, typewriters. <laughs> I know you have a Lego one. Do you have any typewriters to do? I've got uh, a Lego one and I have one, uh, in the UK. It stayed in um where did it stay did it stay in the office as poor old claire had to move it from office to office or did it end up in my garage i think it's in the office i'm not sure mm. uh but i just picked that up in a in a charity store 
um, a few months before we left. I love the idea of uh, typewriters and I hate the reality of them. I had uh, got into typewriters a little bit. Um, in fact, actually my very first podcast that I did was a typewriter podcast that I was uh, a guest on. I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed with myself. You know, when you look at your post move inventory and realize that I've only actually moved five of these. And what I did was I got rid of some of those really big, really heavy ones. Um, you know, the IBM Selectric, which weighs, I think about 80 pounds. Wow. Uh, I got rid of those. I was buying them, tearing them down, restoring them, fixing them up. And it was a, it was a lovely hobby. The one problem that I found, particularly in the last place, and I haven't tried it here yet. I like to write in the morning, generally before Mrs. T is up and typewriters are loud Yeah, and they tend to wake up wives and that is never a good thing to do in my household. So, um, I, I do have several of them. Uh, I got rid of a whole bunch, but, uh, they don't get as much love as I'd, I'd like to have. I got some really neat ones though. I've got, um, you know, italic, um, font sets in there and some really, really cool stuff. The five that have, have made it are really neat. Cool. You know, uh, because we've, because we've moved a lot, I'm assuming you haven't got a lot of old stuff around, you know, books, um, old hobbies, things like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, a lot of stuff I, I mean, I look at some of your lists and think, God, there's a lot. And then I think, actually, if I hadn't at various times lost a load of things, um, then I would probably be in the same sort of boot. So here in, in Cyprus, I have a massive library of books, uh, some of which are mine, some of which I brought over, some of which were my parents. Um, I mean, I just got rid of a couple of hundred books and, you know, it, it very I hardly made a dent, really. And some of them are great and books that I will want to keep and treasure forever. Ever. And some are just, you know, airport fiction. They're great. They're fantastic. But I'd love to get rid of them now. Mm -hmm. Cool. I have, uh, I got rid of most of my books like that. The ones that I've brought with me are ones that I really want to keep. Lots of hardcovers or lots of books that I, I would reread again. Mm -hmm. And many of them I have. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of have lots of those. My office has, I don't know, seven bookcases, eight bookcases in it. My studio has a couple of bookcases in it. They're full of obviously different books from, you know, car reference to, uh, music, uh, sheet music, whatever it's got in there. It's, it's quite crazy. And, you know, as I, I think I talked about before, I, I downsized well, a third of my books at least. So I, I still have just the essentials, which for me is more than most people should ever own. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, that's the, the way it goes really, isn't it? It's just, mm -hmm. you, you hang on to these things and you, you start building up the collection. You never get round to, to actually sort of changing it or rationalizing it at all. And before you know it, you've got thousands of the things. That's about it. Um, I talked before, I've got a music studio. So between my wife and I, we both play music. Uh, I've got nine keyboards. I've got 15 guitars, drum machines, regular drums, uh, not uh, a drum set, but uh, more ethnic drums. I've got a Jembe 
you know, some, some things like that. Th those are set up in a place that are accessible. I'd love to have more time to, to play on that, but you know, that's uh, a little crazy. One thing that I hadn't really thought about until I moved here, I have an entire camera studio in a closet here. Back in, I guess, the late aughts, I rented a studio space in downtown Vancouver and was doing studio uh, work. I still have a lot of that. I've got pro camera equipment. I've got strobes, backdrops, stands, uh, framing supplies, because I was doing all my own framing. All that is tucked away in a very big closet, which is why I don't have a lot of storage space here, apparently. Uh, and it's one of those things that, uh, you know, uh, with the cameras on the iPhones been as good as they are now. Sure. It's really hard. I'd love to have it set up. Honestly, I'd love to have um, a lot of my blog work that I used to do was set up and done with proper camera equipment, uh, white balanced. And, you know, th to get a good quality camera and take quality photos with studio lighting is is so much nicer than anything you can get out of, you know, just room lights and, and an iPhone. Sure. But it takes up a huge amount of space. And that's something that is somewhat problematic for me at the moment. So I got to decide what I want to do with those, which is interesting. Mm. Oh boy, do I have too much stuff. <laughs> well, I, I, I love the way that you listed um, rabbits and chinchillas. Mm. I mean, uh, are they a collection? I mean, I mean, I know rabbits tend to profligate, but, so rabbits and chinchillas, I, at the moment I just have, I have a room in this house that is the animal room and it has rabbits and chinchillas in it. Now, I know this is going to sound weird, but I only have two rabbits and I have two chinchillas at the moment. And there's also a turtle in that room as well. Of course there is. At one point, it's going to be a long story. So my ex-wife and I used to rescue rabbits and chinchillas and we had a room that was full and we probably had at different times maybe up to know, 15 different animals in there those have you know they, they don't live that long that was a long time ago the few that are left uh, some of the chinchillas are 20 some odd years old so they're you know they're elderly people that are doing really well um they, I hate to say the word collection, but uh, they became part of life. You know, mm -hmm. there is routines that go with them. Uh, we bought a house that had to have a special room for them, you know, so that is sort of where that goes. I just have some, some elderly guys that are not just wonderful at the moment, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to replace those, uh, at some point in the future when, you know, they get old and eventually pass on. It's, it's a, it's a tough thing to say. I've got lots of stuff. I've got clothes, uh, you know, two closets. I'm not sure how many I can fit into now. <laughs> I have an entire closet full of work clothes that uh, I haven't worn in two years now. It's, it's bad. Well, every year that passes, a higher percentage of my wardrobe becomes golfing clothes. Mm. To the extent that, um, again, the guy I play golf with who's in his mid-70s, says to me, essentially, all I have is golfing clothes. And, and we, we have a, a tradition when we go out, to, we get invited to formal things sometimes. And he's got a couple of T-shirts with uh, tuxedos printed on them. 
<laughs> and we wear those. Uh, and and just today he was he was looking. I've I've got a a, a driving cap, uh, and he looked and he said that would go very well with the tuxedo t-shirts. So I've promised now to buy him one because it's uh, it's from the UK where I'm going back to soon. Cool. But yeah, it's my clothes. I mean, I don't know that they're still. We, uh, this is a theme for me. Uh, so apologies to the listener who would have heard it before, but. I, I, I think back to my dad or to my father-in-law and if you said to me, what was your dad's pen? I know what it was. Mm. There was one. And that's what he used. That was him, his wristwatch. I see that watch. I see my dad. Um, and somehow I think there's, there's something nice about that, about this is this is my pen. This is the one that I choose to use because it's brilliant. It suits me. It's perfect. And it might be a Bic. It might be a, a Montblanc, whatever. But there's something about that sort of investment in the relationship with the with the object that I think you know having these collections we lose. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have several of one thing. But I'm always I think part of me aspiring to be that sort of connected to, I've got all these pens. I've tried these amazing pens. These three are the three I need. Mm. Now, I don't think I'll ever get there, <laughs> but that's that's kind of where I want to go. Yeah, it's it certainly when you, you know, my takeaway from this stuff is never write down the list of stuff you own. It's depressing. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I have uh gone through a lot in the last year with moving mm -hmm. and downsizing which it doesn't seem like it from this list but i, I certainly have reevaluated my relationship with this uh, and that was part of the conversation we had last week about looking at the stuff that i own and the cognitive load i, I still need to get on top of some of this stuff you know i'm pretty mm -hmm. happy with some of it i think some of it i'm i'm going to perhaps you know maybe downsize a little bit more the other part is some of it I just enjoy having, you know, I, sure. I've worked hard for a lot of the stuff that I've acquired over the years and, you know, I'm, I'm not a mover. I'm, I'm sure there is some trauma there from moving around as a kid and having to be forced to give up, you know, the things that I wanted to keep mm. um, because while well, we're moving, we're moving continents, get rid of it. And, and so I think there's, you know, some historical baggage in there. I should write a notebook or, you know, potentially get a therapist for that but you know what i'm kind of happy where where things are at the moment surprisingly enough having downsized a chunk of my stuff last year hmm. how about you you got any takeaways any thoughts on how you're going to move forward with all of the stuff that you have yeah I, I mean i think for me it's about similarity it's about being measured so uh, you know i have watches that that are treasured memories for me and i'm i'm not going to get rid of those I'm going to try and wear them more. I'm going to try and use them. I'm going to try and enjoy them. I'm not going to allow my sort of aspirations towards minimalism to make me, you know, be draconian and force myself to do things. But, you know, do I need all those field notes with shopping lists? Do I need all those daily drivers with, you know, a task list for, for a Wednesday in December? But no, I probably don't. And that, as you say, just clearing that stuff away just it creates space in the mind as well as in the office cool 
Yeah, it's, it's something to think about, isn't it? How, hmm. how we deal with our relationship with stuff. Stuff. Uh, biggest industry out here is one of the biggest growing industries in North America is, um, what do they call them? Storage units. Yeah. They are a huge thing now. People are outgrowing where they live because of stuff. Yep. And putting it into storage. Um, I've been there. I've had a storage unit that we talked about before. Mine had a particular use because I didn't have a garage and it was really my Harley Davidson storage place. But um, yeah, certainly it's something that I think about uh, a lot more, especially having moved and using the skip that Stu has yet to find an excuse to get. <laughs> yeah, that I would have prayed that Margaret will go on holiday. That'll be the moment. <laughs> All right, Stu, uh, cool stuff. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me uh, at nerosnotes.co.uk or at my own website, stuartlennon.com. Uh, and if you want to find me on Twitter, generally shouting about the situation uh, in Ukraine, then uh, Stu Lennon. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Well, I was just wondering, who did you yell at this week, Stu? Who was I yelling at this week? Well, uh, I've been waving uh, lots of flags at European politicians and American ones uh, saying, would you stop appeasing a dictator? Uh, it doesn't work. Hmm. Um, and, well, I, I don't think they're listening to me. Yeah, I was going to say, nobody's listening, Stu. But they are all having a meeting this week, so oh, there you go. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? You can find me at justintwyford.com. Uh, I am lurking on Twitter, JJ Twyford. Feel free to email us, stationary adjacent at gmail.com. And you can also find show notes with links to things we talked about at our website, stationaryadjacent.com. Uh, please like review us on your podcast, Catch Your Choice. We really do appreciate your recommendations to friends and colleagues. Our next topic is going to be EDC, which should be interesting. Mm. Yes. Hashtag EDC. And can I just say at this point, no. Oh, hashtag EDC. Yes. You've got to have the hashtag, Justin. Uh, no, not guns. No, not that I have anything against guns particularly, but uh, that's not what I mean by EDC. I'm talking about for a stationary nerd. So I'm talking about what, Justin and I, if we had a back backpack or a briefcase, mm. uh, what would we be putting in it and taking to the office? Which, well, I think occasionally we might have to do these days. Mm. Oh, wow. Cool. That'll be a fun discussion. All right. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yasas. <laughs>